Hello everybody, welcome to Borderline and Back, Hope, Management, and Resiliency for Borderline Personality Disorder. I'm your host Maggie, and before we get into this episode, this is just your reminder. I'm not a doctor, psychologist, psychiatrist, counselor, therapist, social worker, any of those things. I'm just here sharing my experiences of being diagnosed with Borderline Personality Disorder, BPD, sometimes referred to as EUPD, Emotional Unstable Personality Disorder, as well as my comorbid ADHD. I'm here sharing my experiences and my stories, hoping that this will help at least one person who's on the journey of management or recovery, depending how you like to label your story, your experience, your journey. Someone who's been recently diagnosed and are trying to figure this all out and maybe everything that they found so far is just stigmatizing and scary. Or alternatively, I'm here to share my experiences in the hopes that if you're listening here because someone you love, someone you care about has been diagnosed with borderline personality, pardon me, borderline personality disorder, to shed some light on experiences that they might be having, things that they might not be able to share with you directly. It can be hard. And again, I, I want to say, and I think I've said this in multiple episodes before, that there's 256 different combinations of how BPD can present in people that have this diagnosis. Alternatively, some people might not fit the full criteria to have a diagnosis, but are having traits. So please keep in mind that these are just my stories, my experiences, a little bit of insight and research that I'm bringing to you. But there's a lot of commonality with people who have this diagnosis and take from this what you will. The purpose here is education, connection, to remove the feeling of isolation and to give a little bit of hope. Like I said, the, the tagline for this is hope, management, and resiliency for this disorder. We're so much more than just that label. This episode is actually going to be a little bit different than a lot of the ones that I've done before throughout season one and so far through season two. A lot of what I put out there is talking about my experiences as the individual with BPD, the person with the diagnosis, the person who's often on the side of things where I'm the one acting out where I have, I don't have to, I choose to, you don't have to sit and reflect. I choose to sit and reflect because I want to manage this disorder. But as the person who has a diagnosis and is reflecting on their life, my life, my life over the last two years, patterns of behavior that I've had in place for longer than I can truly remember, if we're being honest here. And something that I don't often share on the podcast, I've mentioned briefly, is that people email me, people people reach out. But a lot of the individuals who reach out to me, pardon me, are actually the loved ones of people who have been diagnosed with BPD or people who have done a little bit of their own independent research and outside of their loved one having a diagnosis have Googled some symptoms or looked up some symptoms and have seen some of the things that come with the disorder and are like, you know what? I think that my my partner, my friend, my spouse might actually fit the diagnostic criteria for having borderline personality disorder. And Maggie, like, what do you, what do I do? What do you suggest that I do? This person has a history of 
lashing out at me. This person has substance control or substance abuse, pardon me, substance abuse issues, if you will. I want to talk to them about it, but I don't know how. <laughs> what is your advice? What, what would you advise in these situations? And it's so hard for me to weigh in on that. And the reason that it's difficult is because, again, 256 different combinations to meet the diagnostic criteria here that, again, I'm not a clinician. I'm not a psychologist, psychiatrist, therapist. Even if I was a therapist, technically I couldn't diagnose someone with having BPD. It's just coming from my experience and how I would feel someone coming to me with that information. And again, I'm looking at this from the lens of where I'm at right now, two years in and putting in so much work when it comes to this and having to sit with myself and try and reflect on how I would have reacted before my diagnosis, before all this work to see, hey, what would I have wanted from somebody? And to really put that through a lens of this is for me and I'm trying to generalize here without knowing too much about every individual's situations and their relationship dynamic. And that's so hard, but I love that idea for an episode of how do you support someone who you think might have BPD? How do you talk to them about that? And most importantly, how do you, as the loved one of someone who has borderline personality disorder or what are my suggestions for you as that person when it comes to having that discussion? But most importantly, how to care for yourself throughout this, throughout those discussions, leading up to those discussions, and most importantly, afterwards. What is the aftercare in that situation? Something that's really hard for me to talk about and to discuss because of personal shame and guilt that I carry Uh, when it comes to this topic is the concept of BPD exposure for individuals who have been in close relationships with those of us who have a BPD diagnosis. And I like to put this through the lens specifically of undiagnosed BPD because that's really how I differentiate things in my mind is that in my personal opinion and my lived experience is that there was what I did ways that I acted before I had that diagnosis that I didn't know what the hell pardon me was was going on I I felt completely out of control and in a lot of sense in a lot of senses I completely was like I was spiraling and I would act out in ways and say things I just didn't understand and just purely reacting based off of like an impulse like a an immediate like urge to react on things or say things and I've said this before I felt completely crazy like I knew that there was something going on but I didn't know how to articulate I just knew that it was wrong and different from how everyone else in my life behaved and reacted in situations I'll and then contrasting that to post-diagnosis is once I had that diagnosis and had an understanding of BPD and how it presents itself, how it reacted, how it impacted my life is that's kind of like the, the, the day, day zero of from that point, I can start making changes. So for me, my reactions after being diagnosed, understanding that no one is perfect, 
are completely different in how I view them in my mind to pre-diagnosis. I hope that that makes sense here. So prior to getting off on my tangent there, I mentioned something called BBT, pardon me, BPD exposure. And I don't think that this is really anything clinical. It's just a term that's used for those people who are in close proximity to individuals who have BPD and the episodes that they have, as well as the impact that those episodes and our behaviors can have on what I'm going to label as the neurotypical person here, the individual that doesn't have BPD. Uh, their frequent exposure to, say, our emotional swings, our tantrums. You know, sometimes they're on the receiving end of hurtful behavior, so our acting up behavior, you know, those very shameful moments of potentially infidelity, stepping out of our relationships, cheating, when we might threaten to self-harm or commit suicide because of something that's happened and just we 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 don't know how to properly express how we are feeling and we are so scared of abandonment that we act out quick little summary there you know it can deal with uh sexual outlets it can be purchases so being out of control with our finances it can be things like self-harm it can be things like substance abuse it's not limiting to any of those behaviors that i've just listed just to name a couple of things here. So BPD exposure is the individuals who are closest to us in what I would like to call the throes or the depths of this disorder when we don't know what the fuck is going on and we're just trying to live day to day. What I'd also like to say to those who are listening, especially the individuals who are the loved ones of those of us who have BPD, the people that are most likely to be in that realm of having BPD exposure is that not to remove anything here, any accountability, but we carry a lot of shame when that happens, when we act out, when we have the temper tantrums. It's basically immediate too. At least in my experience, I would act out and at the same moment, like this, like it would be act out, feel shame, must make better. So like, I hate you. Oh my God, I love you. Don't leave me. I'm so sorry. So the emotional whiplash and psychological whiplash that you are experiencing we carry a lot of shame for that. We feel it ourselves. And a lot of the time, we just don't know how the fuck to tell you <laughs> what we are going through because we don't know how to process it until we are at the point of being diagnosed and fully understand things. So please just give us a little grace and hold us or hold for us a little space that we are not happy with ourselves when this happens and it's very painful for us as well not to remove that from the pain that you're experiencing just to kind of give you some perspective of what this is like for the individual with BPD as well. So you've been looking at your loved one's behavior. Maybe you've Googled a couple things. Maybe you've gone on TikTok, which I don't recommend. Again, TikTok is not a way to get a diagnosis. There's some great resources for, you know, hearing about BPD, but I'm very skeptical about diagnosis based off of social media. I carry a lot of mixed opinions for myself, even when it comes to this podcast, but say that you've Googled a couple things and you come across, Hey, maybe this person might have BPD and you want to talk to your loved one about the possibility they haven't been diagnosed yet, but you love them and you know that they're experiencing pain. There's some turmoil that's going on in your relationship and you desperately want to try and save the relationship. You want to be there for the person who you love, who you care about, who you can see 
slowly spiraling out of control, potentially not living up to the potential that you think that they have. They have amazing days. They have great days. But at the same time, something so small can happen where they completely shut down, where they act out, where this amazing 32-year-old woman that you know who can hold down a great job, has a degree, is working on an advanced degree, can turn into a six-year-old or maybe even less, let's say like a four-year-old having a tantrum in the middle of the kitchen crying or in the shower because something so small as not agreeing about something that has to do with like choosing something for dinner or you saying, hey, I don't have time in this very instance to be with you, to watch that movie with you, but I have time later. And they just, they just break down and turn into the fact that like, you don't love them, that you're cheating on them, all of these things out of nowhere. And you're just thinking, how can I help them? How can I show them that I care and that I support them and that maybe they need to seek a bit more specialized help than they've been getting from their generalized practitioner, their GP, their doctor, but you don't really know what to do. You're not sure how they're going to react. And I want to say that is a completely, completely understandable thought process because you've probably experienced a lot of up and downs with this person. You probably, I hate using this phrase, but it's commonly used when it comes to individuals with BPD and the relationships we have with others, is that you're walking on eggshells because you don't quite understand what might set them off, what's going to trigger them. And again, there's different subtypes, if you will, of BPD. You're not sure if this person is going to lash out to you. You're not sure if this person is going to have a tantrum and cry on the floor. You're not sure if this person might be harmful to themselves or if they're going to act out in a way that's harmful through something like sexual promiscuity or anything like that. Like you're just generally concerned about the person's well-being when you potentially talk to them about the possibility of them having BPD and wanting to encourage them to see professional help. Again, I just want to say thank you for the concern that you're carrying, as well as the lengths that you've gone to to look into these things. That's amazing, (laughs) especially if you've been at, you know, long-term risk of BPD exposure. It shows that you care. The first thing that I want to say is that before you even consider helping your loved one, wanting to help them, I want you to make sure that you are taking care of yourself that you are safe, that you are talking to someone in confidence, someone that you trust. Ideally, that's a therapist, but I know that that can be expensive. I want it to be someone that you trust who can hold your story to yourselves without passing judgment, who can just listen and ask what you need in that moment. Before you can help anyone else, you need to be able to take care of yourself. And that is so incredibly critical. The reason I suggest talking to a therapist is because I truly believe that before you can help an individual with BPD, that you truly need to be comfortable and consistent when it comes to setting boundaries. I was terrible for this when I was first diagnosed, as well as when I was pre-diagnosed. And even still, I will on occasion push it, is you need to be comfortable with adhering to boundaries because we, we will, we, individuals with BPD can often test the people around us to see, can can we kind of like push a little bit more when it comes to boundary? How consistent can people be? 
And truthfully, one of the best things that you can do for your loved one with BPD is be firm in your boundaries so that they can start to understand that even when you set a boundary, it's from a place of care and concern and that asserting a boundary does not mean removing love, care, or compassion. And the reason that that is hard is because as we were growing up through our adolescence, our childhood, through our lives, that wasn't a concept that we were consistent with. We were exposed to emotional invulnerability, having to earn love, care, and affection. Oftentimes there were various amounts of abuse that we experienced. So a lot of things came with conditions. So boundaries are something that we are not comfortable with. We're not familiar with it, whether it be people asserting it for themselves or us learning to assert it when we need something from the people around us. Okay, so we've been practicing or working on or at least acknowledging that we need to have boundaries in place and take care of ourselves. What next? I want you to examine and think about the language that you're going to consider using when it comes time to having the conversation with that individual who you think might have BPD. I want to encourage you to look into something called nonviolent communication, which is about removing the emotion when you're trying to articulate something that's going on. And the reason I'm suggesting this and highly advocate in general for nonviolent communication concepts is those of us with BPD often interpret interactions with individuals in the extreme negative context. So completely putting a negative filter on what's going on. Instead of seeing what you're trying to tell us as care and concern, it is very likely if we are undiagnosed that we are going to take what you're telling us as an attack. (laughs) And as terrible as it might sound, we might turn that back on the individual who's coming to us. It's not pleasant for anyone in this situation. But through using nonviolent communication, it encourages you, the individual who has BPD, to talk about your experience and what you've found out as opposed to the person who has BPD. So an example is saying, I've done some research and I'm concerned or I feel as if maybe it would be an option to explore with your doctor or to bring up the conversation of, perhaps having BPD or having BPD traits because of XYZ, as opposed to you examine or you have seven out of however many traits of BPD you have it, you need to go get it assessed. And the reason I say to use the nonviolent approach is because it's less aggressive. It's less, there's something wrong with you and more of a, I'm coming to you from a place of concern and a place of love. Even then, it might be hard. (laughs) Likely the individual that you are talking to is still gonna get prickly. They're still going to get their, you know, their their hackles up. If you wanna compare it to like a dog in a corner, like it's gonna be hard no matter what. (laughs) No one likes thinking about having a flippin' personality disorder. It scared the shit out of me when I found out especially when you get into like the clusters, like how terrifying is it when you start doing your research to find out that it's like listed with narcissistic personality disorder, all of these things that people have such a negative connotation about. Plus if you get down the rabbit hole and it's like, oh my God, all of a sudden I feel like this incredibly terrible person. Like, why are you coming at me like this? Do you assume that I'm a bad person? Do you think that I'm a narcissist? Do you think that I'm intentionally trying to manipulate you? Because 
I don't want to say I 100% promise you, but in all likelihood, the person that you are approaching, the person that you think might have BPD, <laughs> we are not intentionally trying to manipulate anyone. It, it's, it's maladaptive behaviors that we learned. And again, we carry a lot of shame when we execute them, but it feels like we're not in control of them. It's not as if we're doing these maliciously to try and get something that we want. It's more about of that fear of abandonment and that whole like the best way, like there's a book called it, I hate you, don't leave me. And that's very much what it is, is in a moment, the I hate you part is a split, but the don't leave me is, oh my God, like I realize what I did. And I'm so sorry. Like, please, please, please like forgive me. I do in fact love you. I just lost sight of who you were in that moment. So we're going to go off of this in like worst case scenario here. So the fact that you've talked to your loved one about this and they they have not responded well to you saying that you've you've looked into this a little bit and you think that they have BPD. In all likelihood, they have split on you. And if that happens, I'm so sorry that you have experienced that. It's very intense. I know that I have split on people myself and I've actually been on the receiving end of a split. <laughs> Differences is that now that I have BPD, I can recognize when that happens. Um, so there's a little bit more power there to remove the personal accountability that I might feel. But that's happened. So, so what now? The person that you love just is in complete and total denial about this. And that's normal. I want, I want to say that that's completely normal. It's like any diagnosis that somebody might receive, whether it be a cancer diagnosis, if it's like a diabetes diagnosis, or again, it's a mental health diagnosis. It's scary. It's life altering in a lot of ways. When you have the word personality attached to it, it makes it almost feel insurmountable. Like you can't move past it, which is completely untrue. So worst case scenario, what can you do? Something that might seem so counterintuitive and like just doesn't even make sense is I want you to keep educating yourself. <laughs> and that might seem hard. But it's probably one of the best things that you can do is to continue educating yourself on BPD. One of my personal favorite resources when it comes to non-stigmatizing education is to go on YouTube and look up Dr. Daniel Fox. He's incredible. The content that he puts out is both for individuals, individuals pardon me, who have BPD, but is also very consumable for individuals who are supporting someone who has or who they think have BPD. It's very clinical but also very approachable when it comes to understanding things. Something else that I think would be truly valuable is to look into some DBT skills. You know, things like the distress tolerance and the emotional regulation. If you notice that the person that you love is having a meltdown, again, that's what I call them, you can potentially bring up something like, you know, like a tip and just say, Hey, like you seem uncomfortable. Why don't you just try this and just see what happens? Just using minor DBT skills to help the person you love come back to reality, whether that be to see you or get back to the present state to remove that emotional intensity. Please don't tell them that you're DBTing them, especially if there's still pre-acceptance of or pre-diagnosis, but DBT is actually like incredible specifically for people who have BPD, but I'm a firm advocate of BPD for, or not BPD. Oh my God. This is why I don't record at 10 o'clock at night of DBT for everyone. And truthfully, 
if you are in close proximity of someone who has BPD, DBT skills would probably be great for you as well. Like, especially the distress tolerance and emotional regulation. Stop is an incredible skill for anyone to learn, regardless of being neurodivergent or neurotypical. Educating yourself has so much power. It allows you to have an understanding from a clinical and non-clinical perspective. It allows you to have tools in place when you might need to use them. And again, I mentioned it earlier, but adhering to boundaries is so critical. If the person that you love, who you're trying to support, lashes out to you, being firm in your boundary that I love you, however, I will not accept this treatment. I'm going to step away for 20 minutes, but I will come back when you have calmed down. Be sure that your actions align with your words. So if you say 20 minutes, you know, come back in 19 until we can build up that trust. (laughs) Um, Just because, again, individuals with BPD have issues with rejection, fear of abandonment. So while you say 20 minutes, we will be looking at our phone for exactly 20 minutes. I can almost guarantee you that that will be typical for every single person who has this diagnosis. Set your alarm and just come back at 18 or 19 minutes and build up our tolerance. It's something that we will greatly appreciate. It's, it, it can seem so hard because you will likely be frustrated with the person that you love, with the person who has BPD. But I want you to, again, continue to educate yourself, if only for your own peace of mind and your own sanity, but also for the perspective of understanding where they might be coming from. And that's where podcasts like mine or, you know, BPD and me or Back from the Borderline or From Borderline to Beautiful are so great in getting a bit of a perspective because it removes the amount of, um, or it removes how personal it is. It gives a bit of anonymity so you can understand it through a lens of, it's not the person who's right there with me, that this is a common experience, or not super common, but it's something that other people have going on and that it's not just a reflection of who you are as a person and the relationship that you are in. And again, communication is so key how you communicate, the tone that you use, not just walking away in frustration. Really saying what you mean and mean meaning what you say, as well as having those actions that you take afterwards align with what you're saying. That's probably one of the most important things when it comes to maintaining, pardon me, maintaining a relationship when it comes to BPD is incrementally building trust building resiliency. Again, this is hope management and resiliency for borderline personality disorder. And as much strength as it takes for those of us who have BPD to walk through the management journey, I I truly think that those of you who love and support us are really kind of like the MVPs here uh, when it comes to this, because I can only imagine how hard it is to watch someone you love who has so much potential just kind of like drowning in what might seem like a self-destructive pit and just be like, I know what you need to do and just just do it. But that's kind of the hardest thing when it comes to this this disorder is that we can tell you a lot of the times what needs to be done is just we can't actualize it. We can't act out on it because we don't have those skills. We weren't shown them. It wasn't demonstrated 
to us. We, we, we didn't have a plan. And while something might seem so simple and so easy to those of you who are neurotypical, it is insurmountable to those of us who have BPD. And just, just having some patience and some grace with us and a little bit of understanding mixed with those boundaries, that clear and direct communication so that we're not sitting there trying to read your mind, which we're fairly accurate at doing, although we do put a negative spin on it. Just if we ask you, what are you, what are you thinking? Please just tell us instead of saying like, I don't know, I'm not thinking anything. Like if we're giving you an ask, give us something to work with as well. Assert those boundaries, have that patience, take care of yourself first, educate yourself, love yourself. Those are probably some of the best lessons and the best advice that I can truly give you. The other thing is that it's important to hold an element of hope (laughs) that there is something beyond the worst parts of this disorder when somebody gets a diagnosis and gets help. I hope that this podcast really serves (laughs) as a, um, a reminder of that. Uh, sometimes I, I wish that I could bring my ex-husband onto this podcast and that we are on better terms to reflect on where I'm at now versus where I was at two years ago. And even before that, uh, just to have someone else's perspective on that. I know that my mom and my sister have said that I, I've come so far, same with some of my, my close friends, but my ex-husband is really the person that had the most BPD exposure in my life. And I think that that would be an interesting episode that I'll never be able to do. But again, take my bias for what it is. I like to think that I'm a completely different person than I was two years ago. Or at least, I hope that I am. I like to think that I've moved past it through the help of people in my life. People who have held their boundaries. People who have wanted the best for me and who have provided me with a little bit of tough love. People who have challenged my... uh, uh, my stubbornness when I didn't want to do something or when I was being particularly prickly or when I was testing boundaries, people who were lovingly able to call me up on something and who were able to say, hey, you are seeming a little bit dysregulated. Like, what kind of skills do you have in place that you can work on here? Truthfully, if my ex had come to me, my ex-husband, and said that he thought that I had XYZ, I would have lost it on him. Partially because he had come to me with multiple different things throughout our marriage and it things just seemed ridiculous he was always again this is my perception putting negative spin on this I felt that he was very critical of me and that nothing I I did could have been correct but at the same time he was also very invalidating when I got my diagnosis so who really knows um kind of my my final advice here is don't try and be too clinical Don't come at this or don't come at your loved one from a perspective of that you know better. Look at it or approach it from an element of wanting to explore something. That you're in this together. That they're they're not alone. Because chances are, if they do in fact have BPD or several of the BPD traits, is that they're already feeling very alone and isolated. They're scared. They're confused. And you don't want to come at it from a perspective that that's going to make that worse because that's what's really going to bring up those protectionist behaviors that are so maladaptive. 
approach it from the perspective of it's a journey for you both to build and to grow instead of to completely, pardon me, instead of a perspective of completely tearing down, of being other, of being scary. Try and remove some of the stigma. Provide resources if they come to you and say, you know what, I've thought about what you said and I'd like some more information. (laughs) Be prepared. I've mentioned in this episode a couple of great resources already. I'll, I'll leave them in the show notes below. If the person is trying to get in to see a therapist, but they're having a hard time uh, getting connected with individual support groups, go to the link tree again that's in the, the show notes. And I think it's like an Amazon. I called a wish list because I don't know how to create a storefront, but it just like it will connect you with what I suggest for, for books until I figure out and get my website up and going. But there's so many great resources for independent self-work and self-study, whether it be the DBT workbook, the Borderline Personality Disorder Workbooks by Dr. Daniel Fox. Like there's so many ways to start this for yourself. And just to reiterate, the most important thing that you can do as the individual of someone who loves someone who cares about someone who has BPD is to take care of yourself. Put yourself first. It's hard. We always want to take care of and try and save people around us but I want you to remember the whole the whole thing that they give you every time you got an airplane is that you need to put the oxygen mask on yourself first and that's so important take care of yourself love yourself give yourself some grace you might be beating yourself up thinking that you should have recognized all of these different things before and that you missed them and are feeling guilty about that and please don't feel guilty the fact that you're even listening to this podcast because you think that someone might have BPD in your life and that you want to help them is incredible. And thank you so, so, so much for being an advocate for them when they might not know what they're experiencing and they can't put a name on it. They can't put a label on it. I'm so proud of you. I appreciate you in in so many different ways. And until the next episode that I put out there, just a reminder, everyone is struggling. Everyone is having a hard time. We're, we are our own worst critics and you're probably doing so much better than you think you are. Give yourself a little bit of grace and have a great day, everyone.